Well, sometimes people ask me, and I, I wonder how many of you have wondered why I move away from the pulpit and come and preach from here on the steps or even walking down. And there really are a lot of reasons. I like the intimacy of being able to look into your eyes. I like to play gotcha with the people who always sit in the back thinking they're going to be far away. And then I get real up close and personal. But, but another one of the reasons that I don't talk about very much was really my first experience preaching. I was a student in Sonoma, California, and I was just doing student internship kind of work and Christian education and so on. And the pastor was kind enough to say, David, would you like to preach some Sunday since you're headed towards pastoral ministry? And, and I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And so I studied up on how to do the, the presentation of myself from the pulpit to preach. And I did everything right. I, I came to the pulpit, and I laid out my notes, and I put my, my feet about shoulder width apart, and I, I lifted my chin, and I looked all the people in the eye. And then, according to the theory, I took this deep cleansing breath to be prepared to speak. And just then, a gnat flew up my nose. I like to get as far away from the pulpit as I can sometimes. <laughs> We're talking about the purpose of the church. What are the key things that the church is about? And this is in tune, you know, with what's going on in society today, right? I mean, every leadership guru will tell you that you have to have a purpose statement and a mission statement and a motto and a slogan and, you know, and an, uh, a brand, and you have to have all of these things. And so for this particular group that I was working with, they said, we have two top priorities. Wait a minute. How can you have two top priorities? And everybody sort of was in a quandary. We can't have two top priorities. I mean, a top priority means it's one, number one. But it turns out that one of their top priorities was to do evangelism. Okay, that's what I talked about last week. Evangelism. The other top priority was to do social justice and social righteousness. Now, how do you have two top priorities? Think of a 50-cent piece, standing it on end and holding it by a clothespin. That's how you have two number one priorities. It's the same thing, but it's two sides of it. Evangelism is telling the Word of God to people, to talk about and to allow people to see Christ reflected in you, to see the Christ that is already in them, in you. The other side of the coin is that you do social righteousness, that you work in the world to bring about a change in the world so that there is justice and righteousness. 
And that's evangelism to the world. So it is possible to have two number one priorities because it's the same thing, only it's two sides of the same coin. And both of those ideals, priorities, are contained in the good news, N-E-W-S. What does the N stand for? Nurture. Okay, you got, this is par participation time. N stands for nurture. The E stands for edu, no, e education. Aha. W stands for worship. And the S stands for service. Both evangelism and social righteousness undergird and is the reason for all of the four purposes of the church. Because the purpose of the church is why it exists. But it exists for evangelism, for sharing the good news, and for doing social righteousness in the church. One of the places we can see the church doing social righteousness is in race relationships. In the fight for freedom from slavery that has gone on in the black community and within all of the immigrant communities that have been part of our country. When they passed the Civil Rights Bill, the people that were up in the balcony of the state legislature and the U.S. legislature were Christian people who had fought for those who were oppressed and given no voice and no voice for far too long. It was the Christian people who stepped out to do social justice and fought for voting rights for people of color. It was church folk who worked hard to bring about a new life to the point that this week, day after tomorrow, the United States of America will be installing the first black president in our history, a day that people thought would never, never come. And it was due largely to people like Martin Luther King Jr. and a whole host of preachers and pastors who sought social righteousness and to do justice in the world. It was God's hand and power within that movement that made the difference. This morning driving in, I was listening to Gospel Flight, which is on KUER in the early morning. Some of you may not even have your eyes open about that time. Hmm. But they played Martin Luther King's Balm and Gilead speech. And in that speech, he tells the story of the time when he got a death threat. And the note that he received said, not only are we going to kill you, we're going to burn down your house and destroy everything that you have. After reading that note, he had trouble sleeping that night.
It weighed on his mind. He got up. He made himself some coffee. He's sitting at the kitchen table. And he's thinking about this. He's using all of his university studies of philosophy and theology. But nothing comes to him. His life is threatened. His family is threatened. They've just, the King family just had their first child. And when he would come home, that it would take his breath away to see that innocent little baby. And these people were threatening to take it away from him. And he is a father away from her. His beloved wife was laying in the bed asleep and they were threatening to take him away from her and her away from him. And the words didn't come to him and then he bowed over that cup of coffee. And as the steam rose from the heat of that coffee, he began to pray to God with words that came from he did not know where. But he said, Lord, don't let me falter. Give me the strength to do righteousness and to bring about justice in the world. Lord, give me a strength that I can remember that you are with me in doing justice and seeking righteousness in the world. I wish I could use the cadence that he had. Because the power of that story is so gripping about a man who did not know what he was going to do. His courage was faltering. His fear was rising. And all he could do would be was to turn to God and say, God, don't let me falter. Keep my courage strong to do justice and to seek righteousness. And that prayer is answered on Tuesday in Washington, D.C. The church is called to do social righteousness in the world. When I joined the church for the first time, the classes that I attended, the pastor said, oh, the church should be involved in social justice, and that means doing work in the political system. And I went home and told my father, and my father says, oh, no, the church should never be involved in politics. But then, if you don't change the law, if you don't change the governance, how do you change the structures of a society that is racist, that is homophobic, that is against the poor and works for the rich, how do you speak power to the truth? How do you speak truth to the powers that reign? But my father was adamant. This is one of the issues upon which my father and I never agreed. I was involved, I had this great friend, Betty. Uh, Betty stood only about um, four foot eight, and she had arthritis. And her husband had taken her to the county nursing home 
for her to be taken care of because the rheumatoid arthritis had become so severe that she could no longer wash dishes. Her hands were gnarled. And he took her there and he abandoned her. He divorced her. He divorced her for two reasons. One was that the, he could not afford to pay for the care that she needed in the job that he had, and he didn't have adequate insurance. And the other was that he had a girlfriend on the side because her gnarled body was offensive to him. I couldn't do anything about what was going on with his love life, but I could make a difference in the law of the land. And Norm and I discovered that one of the ways that she was being oppressed was because she was a ward of the county. And the county was paying her bill. And if she left to visit her daughter, they would just sell her room to someone else and put her things out on the sidewalk. So that meant once every three months she could spend one day and one night with her daughter and then had to be back. And there was something that wasn't just about that. She was a person with special needs. And part of those needs was seeing her daughter. And Norm and I worked to change the Medicare rules and regulations and the law that supported that for two and a half years. The file folder that we had for writing to our Congress representative and to the administrators of these programs was two and a half inches thick. And I had to leave before it was resolved. We testified, we wrote letters, we did everything we could, and I had to leave with the job unfinished. Nine months after I had moved on to another church in another community, Norm wrote me a letter and said we should congratulate one another. We changed the law. It was Norm and I working as Christians to make an unjust law just. So it's our call. We make a difference. Go back and look at the structures and the organizations of government and our economic structure, and there is a lot of injustice. And it's our role to be able to change those laws and structures that make us an unjust society. I've lived through two floods in my life where our house was being threatened and the neighbors were underwater. One was in 1955 when I was five years old. The other one was in 1968 when I was 18 years old. And I can remember that we were filling sandbags and putting them on the canal bank to fill in where the low place where the water was pouring into our community. That was an emergency situation. But would it not have been better if we had gone and created a dam upstream that was bigger and would contain the floodwaters so that people could see? That's what social justice is about. We need to feed the hungry, but we need to also make a just system of equitable distribution to get taxation off of food that strikes the poorest of people who can afford it the least.
so that we can help those who need housing to be able to have affordable housing even when they don't have all of the resources available. We need to change the structures as well as feed the people when they're hunger or clothe them because they can't afford clothing. That's what social justice is about. It's being involved. It's doing something. There was a family that lived in Arizona. And they had this dog and one night after dark the dog began to howl. And the dog was howling, and so the father said to the youngest boy, Johnny, I want you to go out and, and see, why is that dog howling? Oh, Dad, I've been studying, I've been in school all day, and I'm just too tired. Hmm, says the dad. Well, Susie! Why don't you go out and see why the dog is howling? Dad, my friend is coming over. I don't have time to do that. And then I've got homework to do. And I've got to talk to my boyfriend on the phone. I don't have time to do that. And then the father of the family looked to his wife and said, Dear, and she just gave him the look. You know the look I mean. Uh-huh. She was tired. So the father gets up out of his chair, goes out the door, goes and checks on the dog, and pretty soon the dog stopped howling. He came back in. So little Johnny and little Susie and his dear wife said, Well, what was the dog howling about? And he said, he was sitting on a cactus and he was too tired to move. I, I was going to call my sermon today, Do Something, Damn It. Because that's what God is calling us to do when it comes to social righteousness. But I didn't think it would look good out on the sign with all the people driving by. And I didn't want to dare put that word in print in a bulletin that may show up 20 years from now and saying, what was that man thinking? But if you take the words of the prophet, if you take the words of the apostles, if you take Jesus at his word, he's saying, do something, damn it. Because it is up to us to get off of our cactus thrones and to get up and to go into the world and to change the society that brings oppression, that suppresses people's freedoms, that hurts people's lives. It is up to Christians who believe to build coalitions. We're not the only ones doing this. But it is our commandment to go into the world and to preach the gospel. And preaching the gospel is telling the good news to individuals. That's evangelism. And it is to go into the courts and into the legislature and to fight for justice and righteousness. And that is social righteousness. These are the great commandments that are our purpose for existing. And it is why God has called you here to be a part of a community where that can happen.
First Baptist Church. We can write, we can work for the rights of people who are disenfranchised so that gay people can have the right to visit their partner in the hospital or to have inheritance. It is to work on a just and fair law and taxation that is not an unbalanced burden upon other people. It is to help there to be housing that is adequate so that people can live and enjoy life as God intends. So we are called to do something and to do it with the individuals, but also to make a difference in society. It is a wonderment, and I give praise to God, that Martin Luther King's birthday comes just the day before we install a black president. But I don't want to think of Obama as being a black president. I want to think of him as our president who gives us hope and gives hope to every person in the world. We must respect the office of the president and we have to pray for him and his leadership for each day of the next four years because he is hope. He has promised to do social righteousness and in a way that no previous president in recent history has really done. And we need to be a part of the changes that are coming and not bystanders and not sitting on a cactus howling because we're too tired to do something about it. Oh Lord God, I give you these people. They are your people and they want to do They want to do social righteousness. So show us the way as a community of faith so that your strength becomes our strength, that your mind becomes our mind, and that your holiness will prevail and that justice and righteousness will be yours. Amen.